Hey friends, before we dive into the episode, I've got something for healthcare professionals. Healthcare professionals, if you're locuming or going to locum, navigating it through multiple agents and agencies can be stressful. Back and forth emails and timesheets aren't needed in this era. What if there was an app where you could see the shift, the total pay, the hours and request to book it there and then? Well, there is. Locum's Nest connects healthcare professionals digitally to the NHS staff bank. The app connects already over 50,000 healthcare professionals to vacant work in over 50 NHS trusts and growing. Check it out yourself. That's Locum Nest. Let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In Show. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week, we're joined by another amazing guest. We have with us Dr. Ed Farrar, who is the co-founder and CEO of Otto. He's an NHS clinical entrepreneur and was a core surgical trainee in the RAF. Um, massive, massive pleasure to have you on board on the show. Ed, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, guys. It's great to be here. I'm very well. Um, looking forward to... Uh... To, to talking about tinnitus and, and and talking about some some hopefully exciting topics. No, definitely. So you were on the last cohort of Ycom. You had a super big raise. You've done incredible things, and I don't want to make it seem like it was overnight success. So we're going to take it all the way back Ed, to kind of your younger days. Um, tell us a bit about the journey into medicine, into medical school, and bring us right up until present day. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for your kind words. It's very, very complimentary. But as you say, it's, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a slog over the past few years and it's, uh, it's finally things are sort of coming together, but we've still got a lot of hard work to do. And this is, you know, the hard part's just beginning, but I suppose it all began for me. Um, well, I'll tell you a bit about my background actually. So as you say, uh, I originally was a doctor, I suppose I still am a doctor. I went to medical school in York. I graduated in 2015. And the plan for me was to train, uh, as you said, to train as a surgeon uh, in the military. So I joined, as soon as I left medical school, I joined the Royal Air Force. And to begin with, I really enjoyed it. Um, Mm. I really enjoyed working as a doctor. Um, I did primarily because I wanted to do surgery. I did surgical rotations. And I thought, you know, this is is really good. So I thought, um, you know, I want to continue with this. I want to do surgery. And I started preparing my, my CV um, which is, you know, you guys are doctors, you'll know how important that is. Started preparing my CV for, for, for surgery and, and, you know, going through everything and ticking all the boxes. Yeah. But during my time in the military and sort of during my time as a junior doctor, two things happened. The first thing that happened was um, I started hearing a ringing in my ear, tinnitus, basically. Mm. And I was quite lucky. Uh, it wasn't too severe. I got used to it quite quickly. It stopped me from sleeping from time to time, but um, you know, I, I, I got used to it fairly quickly. And the second thing that happened was um, when I was doing my, my, my military year, um, I started seeing military patients with tinnitus, but quite severe tinnitus, mm. a lot worse than mine. Yeah. Um, and I'll just actually quickly say, so tinnitus is, is basically uh, commonly experienced as a, as a ringing noise. I'm presuming that this sort of the audience is, is mostly medical, so yeah. you know what tinnitus yeah. is. But it's essentially um, hearing a sound without any external stimulus. It's commonly experienced as a ringing noise. So, yeah, the second thing that happened was I started seeing these, these, these patients that had severe tinnitus mm. and their lives were being ruined. Mm. They couldn't sleep. They couldn't concentrate. They couldn't have conversations, big impact on their mental health. 
and I didn't, you know, I had tinnitus mildly, but I didn't realize that this was a, this was a, you know, this was a big thing. I mean, if I pose back the question to you guys, you're both doctors, how much did you do on tinnitus at medical school? I think we barely touched it. I experienced tinnitus myself, which I'll talk about in a moment, mm. but yeah. prior to having it myself and kind of spending hours on Google trying to figure out what's this ringing noise and I feel like I'm going deaf. We didn't really touch about it. It's the stuff you revise for medical exams and that's it. Probably like two or three MCQs that you do on it and then that's it, you move on. It's just, well, it's just ringing in the noise. That's all they tell us. Exactly. And you, 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 you know, you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, you learn about tinnitus as, as a red flag, really, as like, you know, a potential sign mm. of, a, of a brain tumor or, you know, or something mm. nasty. But yeah. You never really learn about the impact it has on people. And anyway, so I saw these, I was seeing these people and I got together with my co-founder, George, um, who has tinnitus himself. He's a doctor in the Navy. Mm. And um, we thought, look, you know, I would sort of we can go into a few more details about um, about why I decided not to not to continue in surgical training. But I'd come to the end of core surgical training at this point, um, mm. which is a natural career break. And I thought, I want to do something about this. I want to, yeah. you know, I want to do something on a grander scale. Yeah. Build something for people with tinnitus um, to to help them. Um, and so yeah, I suppose that's that's that was that was my journey from uh, very well, very quick sort of run through of my journey from from finishing medical school, um, mm. joining the RAF, um, spending a year with the military, a couple of years core surgical training, and then deciding to um, deciding to, to to start Otto. No, definitely. Just taking it a step back mm. for you, it's it's probably the norm, but a lot of people probably listening thinking military medicine, RAF, mm. what on earth is he talking about? What made you more inclined to kind of join the military practice medicine there as to kind of a conventional hospital um, in the UK? Yeah, so I'd say a couple of things to that. Um, the first is that the joining the military gives you opportunities that you wouldn't normally get as a, as a doctor in the, as a, a, you know, as a standard NHS training pathway or NHS doctor. Um, and that ranges from anything like, you know, doing more sport, going abroad to do to do skiing, learning how to ski, that kind of thing, you know, all the fun stuff, all the mm. way through to working as a doctor in, you know, difficult environments that you might not be able to work, you know, in, in, you know, in, a, in, a, in a war zone, um, in a difficult climate, um, and training as something different, um, something mm. additional to the training that you would just get in the NHS anyway. Um, so that kind of excitement of, you know, doing something additional and having those extra opportunities um was what motivated me um but you know the the, the training pathway is broadly the same um, okay. you have to do some extra stuff but you still work in the nhs mm. um, I see. and you do your training in the nhs um and yeah. you know unless you sort of yeah actually for, 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 for the majority of specialties actually how are you first uh, sort of introduced to the idea of military training and medicine because it's not something that the average medical student will be exposed to ever it would never cross the mind to say oh there is another pathway out there it's always just you know med school f1 f2 in, in the nhs and continue what was your exposure and how was that seed planted well my friend um uh, well friend and co-founder actually george joined the mm -hmm. navy um sort of i think in third year fourth year of medical school and i'd never really considered it before um he'd done some um, some, 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 some stuff with, with it when he was younger. And I thought, well, that looks like a cool opportunity. I looked into mm. it in the Navy. You have to do three years in between foundation training, uh, three years out of military stuff in between foundation training and, and, and specialty training, but in the air force, you only have to do one year. So I thought, ah, I you know, I can, 
I, I can not take too much time out of training if I if I join yeah. the Air Force. So, um, so I so I joined up there and then. Well, I, no, I definitely joined up there and then, but I I planned. I made the decision there and then. That yeah. Was, that was good too. <laughs> No, amazing, amazing. I think yeah, it's quite cool, and it just goes to kind of the opportunities when they're coming arise and kind of pursuing it. Um, tell us how tinnitus kind of affected you on a day to day. I know you said it wasn't as bad as some of the patients and people you met, but looking back at my experience when I had tinnitus, I think I was twenty one, twenty two. Um, I don't know how I got it. I'm suspecting I was in an environment with very loud music, mm. but I had a lot of anxiety and fear that I was losing my hearing because it was super loud and I'm sure you know and people that have tinnitus know is it's worse at night when you're trying to go to sleep when there's no noise um, and it affected me mentally a lot I was struggling with it mm. um, obviously when I had it I'm not sure Otto was around but how did it affect you like you know mentally your day-to-day -day work well the first thing that happened was I noticed it in quiet environments uh, you know, I didn't notice it throughout the day. And as you say, probably one of the, the you know, the, the most common quiet environment that we find ourselves in is is when we're trying to go to sleep. Hmm. And I remember I was quite sort of stressed with, um, I was quite, I was sort of quite, it was a quite a stressful time anyway. And I remember trying to go to sleep and hearing this, this ringing noise. And I thought, God, that's, that's, that's not, that's not nice. That's unpleasant. I hope it goes hmm. away. Um, I managed to get to sleep, but it didn't go away. And then I had it the next night as well. And I thought, this is getting, you know, this is going to be quite annoying now. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to get used to this? Like, how am I going to, how am mm. I going to live with this? And you're right. It does give you feelings of anxiety. It does make you feel stressed that you've got this damn thing inside your head that you just can't get rid mm. of. Um, and I very, I sort of was, was learning how to, I, coincidentally, actually, I was learning how to meditate at the same time. And I found that meditation mm. really helped it. Um, and I found that breathing exercises really helped it. And what I used to do is I, I had just a sound on my foot, like, you know, headspace, you can play sounds on. Yeah. I used to play like a timer on headspace before I went to sleep. Um, mm. And, you know, very quickly I learned that if I just had, a, a you know, like a nice sound on before I go to sleep, I could, I could get to sleep okay. Um, and yeah, to be honest with you, I don't really notice it at the moment. Um, I got mm. I very lucky, like most people, and, and also it wasn't that loud either, so it didn't have too much of an impact on me. But um, most people with severe tinnitus it can take months or years to get used to yeah. but i was very lucky in that it took quite a short amount of time for for me to learn how to manage and learn how to live with no definitely i didn't see a, didn't see a doctor um for it yeah. or anything i just sort of you know looked it up wasn't yeah. one year, you know no red which flag. i think is the most common thing people do i don't think until it's really bad people kind of google it and it's it's, it's, it's a simple search it's a ringing noise in my ear what is it and it's tinnitus yes um a question on your, because you've experienced tinnitus and now have a startup essentially uh, surrounding tinnitus. So a lot of our audience, right, some of them are also aspiring entrepreneurs and previous entrepreneurs on our podcast have given the advice that sometimes you need to get as close as possible to a problem to solve it. Now, you've experienced tinnitus, you've seen the effect of tinnitus on patients around you, especially in the military. Just tell us a little bit about how that is sort of an advantage in the sense that you really understand it you've really seen it in a holistic way what what advantages does it offer to be so close to a problem yeah you're you're so right and that's a really 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 valid point and a very interesting question um i would even go as far to say as i don't think a startup 
certainly a startup, perhaps other businesses as well, small businesses. I don't think a startup would succeed unless you have a really obsessive approach about understanding mm. your customers' pain points. And mm. you do get like the beginning of an understanding, you do get that from being in that customer's shoes. Um, and as you say, the closer you are to understanding that, that customer, um, then you know the better your, your understanding is going to be. For me, um, I never had the really, really bad experience with tinnitus. So I had to make sure that I had that understanding. And I did that by speaking to, I've probably spoken to over a hundred people now with, with tinnitus wow. on the phone, just, you know, and, and, and actually one of the things that like being a doctor teaches you is it teaches you how to talk to people and understand their problems. Yeah. For yeah. people listening that are doctors um, or in, in the medical profession, just in general, you know, taking a history, um, it's something is so translatable to, to entre entrepreneurships and, and startups is just speaking to people and listening to them and understanding how their problem is affecting them. Um, because you have to have that understanding in order to build a solution to solve that problem for them. No, and, definitely. Uh, that's something that, you know, that's something that Y Combinator will sort of, you know, drill into you very early on, um, yeah. you know, build something that users will love um, and talk to your users, you know, talking to your users. Yeah. Is, if you're struggling, you'll, you'll get so much information from that. No, definitely. So we kind of know where, you know, you've went to RAF, course surgical training, you were at a natural career break, you had tinnitus yourself you started to meet patients with it mm. tell us about the transition phase or perhaps the founding story of otto at what stage did that happened how did you go about it we know you met your co-founder at med school but mm. there's idea and then there's taking it to market and building it so share that part of the journey which is the gems i know a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs are keen to hear mm. uh it it was kind of it didn't really happen overnight is the first thing i'll say George and I knew that we wanted to do something. Uh, we wanted to start a business and we have done actually for a very long time. We tried to set up a business in, in medical school, um, tutoring basically, like providing like a tutoring service for, for, for yeah. medical students, people that wanted to get into med school. And we didn't, we, we didn't know what we were doing. It didn't work, it was a failure. But it <laughs> it's the standard go-to <laughs> business for medics, yeah, right? Exactly, yeah. But, but, but um, and I'm sure you guys have, have, have probably, you know, probably spoken to people, done something similar yourselves. Um, but we, so we knew we wanted to do something and, um, this kind of coincided with me and George actually becoming disillusioned with, um, a career in, a career in surgery or a career in medicine. Mm. And I'd done course, I'd done CT1 and I thought, oh, I'm not really enjoying this that much, but I hadn't done plastics. So mm. I sort of, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to do plastics, see what it's like. And I just didn't enjoy it. Like I, like I thought I did. And in the background, George and I were sort of exploring different business ideas. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about different ideas, different problems, different solutions. Um, and the one that we just kept coming back to was tinnitus. Um, yeah. The reasons that we've, you know, the reasons that we've mentioned, um, reasons that we've discussed, you know, the fact that we both had it and the fact we both sort of experienced it, the fact we both had seen patients that had really struggled with it. So we looked into it, we did some more research and it transpired that there's, there's no cure for tinnitus. Effective treatment exists in the form of something called cognitive behavioral therapy, but to access yep. this is incredibly difficult. Most doctors, yeah. um, actually are pretty poor at referring for CBT. 
Yeah. Sometimes you need to go to see an ENT first, which is, you know, makes it even more inaccessible. Um, so, you know, alongside, and this was, you know, over a period of a few months, we were talking to people, I was talking to people doing market research, looking into the numbers, speaking to clinicians. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then we thought, okay, CBT is very difficult to access, almost very, very hard to access, actually. Why don't we just put it into an app that, that people can access whenever they want? Nice. And um, we kind of did it the whole wrong way around, really. We did the classic thing of building a product that um, without, you know, understanding whether people would buy that product first. But we were lucky yeah. in with something with tinnitus, it is people are desperate for a solution people need a solution How, so we were we were kind of lucky with that to show so to stop you to show the extent of the problem how many people suffer from tinnitus just you know in the uk or worldwide one in i don't eight, know if you have the number yeah yeah so one in eight people suffer with chronic tinnitus that's people like me yeah that's crazy yeah uh, so you know people like you um yeah um but we can narrow that down further to the number of people that are really struggling with it Mm. And um, of those one in eight people, um, well, I need to do the maths now. So one in eight people, <laughs> one in eight people uh, have chronic tinnitus. One in twenty people really struggle. So oh, I think wow. it's what's that? Forty percent. Um, yeah, it's around forty percent of people that with tinnitus really, really struggling yeah. with it. Um, so you know, that's a lot of people. That's twenty yeah. million people in the UK and the US who have access to a smartphone that are yeah. really struggling with tinnitus. So it's a, yeah. it's a big market and a, a really underserved market as well. No, definitely. So so what's interesting to see is you had this entrepreneurial spirit way back in med school. You started kind of the tuition, helping to get into med school. So those traits were still there. Obviously, what we realized as well is we were quite similar, but the first few years of med school or foundation training kind of dampened that because you're so caught up and overwhelmed or whatever, and then it does kind of flare um tell us about the actual process of building otto so it's an app that's obviously available on ios android yeah. are you a coder is georgia coder because i know one of the biggest barrier for medics kind of venturing into this space is they're very smart they're hardworking, they're go-getters but the thing that seems to let them down is the code the, the tech so tell us how you navigated that well um we it's a really good question, very valid question, and I think you know the answer is um, is, is probably quite interesting actually to your listeners. So, neither George or I uh, were programmers. We had a moment where we thought, or where we dis where we had a discussion. I remember it actually, and we had a few options. We knew this is the product we wanted to build, but we couldn't build mm. it. So, yeah, we a find someone else like a third co-founder to help us um to help us build it do we b pay someone to build it for us pay an agency or pay a, an individual yeah. to build it for us do we c uh, give up or do we d Ooh. um yeah and that wasn't really an option to be honest with you um <laughs> or d do we one of us learn how to do it ourselves yeah yeah option a find another co-founder we didn't want to do that we were already we already we were already um speaking to um jameel our third co-founder actually at this point is a is an ent surgeon um okay. and you know we we just didn't want to have a, an additional member of the team um yeah um, four co-founders is quite a big founding team so yeah. that wasn't an option for us um option b pay someone well look 
you know i don't know if you guys know how much it costs to build an app yeah (laughs) you know the average mobile health app costs um like four hundred five hundred thousand dollars um yeah i remember being quoted that once and they said the funny story before i forget is we launched an app called Podcases, which is kind of audio-driven learning from edge yeah. immersive experience, which I'm sure you might be familiar with. Yeah. And I remember speaking to an agency in the UK, and he, he, the first question was like, yeah, how much did you raise? And they were like, yeah, we're going to come take at least half of that. And I was like, what? It's a silly question. He's like, it's going to cost you 300K. I was like, come on, it's crazy. It's obscene. It is. It is. It is obscene. Um, and it was, it's also completely insane to do that, to spend that kind of money on something whether you have it or you need to raise it from family yeah. and friends or investors or whatever on something that you haven't validated um you know exactly. to anyone listening that's thinking of starting a business don't spend significant amounts of money don't spend mm. any money on it really until you validated that people will pay for it first um no, so it's obviously obviously giving up you know we're never going to give up um at all mm. still won't give up um so option d was kind of well we looked at each other and said you know, let's just do it ourselves. And George then, George knew actually a bit of HTML. Uh, you yeah. Know, he'd built websites. He'd been doing some data science stuff. So, you know, he knew how to program, um, but mm. he didn't know how to build apps. So he built the app himself. Uh, oh, wow. And 99% of what you see has been built by George. And George is now very... Oh, wow. It's incredible. Yeah, he's very, he's very, now so a very was, yeah, accomplished, accomplished, uh, accomplished programmer and developer. So he's now sort of leading the product and development um that's crazy that's incredible yeah, we, we were just before we jumped under the call we were looking at the app and we were like this is incredibly like it's so sleek the design of the app is so sleek he's, he's uh, do you know that I, yeah I, George I, has I, learned I, this look, look, guys i can't take any credit for, for the app <laughs> um you know it's all been george and the product guys that have been working very hard on 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 building Amazing. that and it's you know and it's awesome no, definitely. I was going to say, who caught the short end of the stick on that? So it seems he ended up having to learn to code. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, he, 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 George loves code. George does love, just George, George does really enjoy it. Uh, and he does. Fair enough. He's always kind of like the, you know, and he's, he's smarter than me as well. So it's, um, yeah, probably a better, better fit. <laughs> no, fair enough. We we tried to learn. I remember I was watching some YouTube video, Code Academy, and I was like, mate, this is not for me. After like an hour in, like um, something you need to know where your, your limits yeah. lie. George George has spent hours and hours and hours sat. He you know, it, you know, fair play to the guy. He spent so much time learning how to do it. It's incredibly impressive, and it's not something that I would have. Um, I would have no, or, or no, definitely. Fine. We're very lucky to have. No, for sure. A quick question at this point. So, um, obviously, you're 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 a medic who's gone through all of the training, all of the years at med school. You've done CST, right? Did it ever cross your mind, like, oh my god, I've spent so much time, and for me to now move completely across the pond to a different world, to a different industry, did it ever cross your mind? No, I should stick it out. I should become a consultant. Then maybe I can venture out. What, what was it that just said, you know what, no, that's, that's not it. Because a lot of medics, what happens is, I, I see it when I sometimes locum and I'm at work, a lot of them say, but I've spent so much time. I, how, can, how can I now, I hate it, but how can I venture out to now start a business, become a, a designer, work in consultancy or whatever job it is that they really want to do. They just feel, but I've wasted so much time, I can't do that. Did it ever cross your mind and... Yeah, there? of course. Of course, and again, like a really valid question. But look, you're not, you've not wasted time because a, 
um, you know, you, you've, you've probably enjoyed a big chunk of it up until, you know, you've met people, you've made friends, you've gone to university, it's been a good experience. You've, you've learned a huge amount. Um, look, I've, 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 I've learned so, so much, so much that's transferable as well from, from my career as a, as a doctor in the military, you know, you know, how to learn things, leadership, how to talk to people, how to, you know, big part of being a doctor is how to convince people to do things other members of staff that they might not necessarily want to do, you know, how to convince a radiologist to do a scan that, you know, good morning or whatever, all this kind of stuff is translatable and it's just good life skills, you know, how to have difficult conversations with people. As a doctor, you know, you have to be able to, to tell people things they don't want to hear. And, and that's all of this stuff is translatable. And that's why I think it's been, it was hugely, hugely useful for me. You know, learning how to do a nail bed repair isn't something that's translatable, but there's lots of stuff that, you know, there's lots of stuff that, 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 that is involved in that, that is translatable. And I enjoyed a big part of it as well. So I don't think I, yeah, I think it's definitely a valid question. People, you know, it's kind of like the, the sunk cost fallacy, isn't it? You've put so much time into it already. Why not just put a bit more in? But I knew that additional time, I'd done enough to be able to make the decision. Additional time would have been a waste. Um, and I saw, you know, and I, and I saw like, you know, people senior to me and I just thought that I saw registrars and I saw consultants. Um, Plastics, I don't know if you guys have ever done any work in plastics, but uh, I have huge, huge respect for the people that do it because the skill and the commitment and the dedication that's required to do it is, is for many for many specialties, actually, but, but plastics is one I had experience in. And to do that kind of work takes a special type of person. And I just wasn't, I just wasn't that person, you know, I didn't have the obsessive kind of, of of personality to be able to you know really really excel in that kind of in that kind of field and um it just wasn't yeah it wasn't right for me and i'd i'd seen enough and i'd done enough work to to know that that wasn't that, that wasn't right for me no definitely and i think obviously what we encourage is kind of experiencing it and making an informed decision because mm. we recently released a video where a lot of medics now are not even doing foundation training they're yeah. literally graduating, leaving, getting kind of free X the base salary of an F1. Yeah. And I kind of think maybe experience it because obviously, yeah. as you know, being a doctor is very, very different to what it's like at med school. Yes. Um, and I think when we speak to someone like yourself who's been there, done it, were in the you know, training path for a fair bit of time, you know, okay, you've, you've making an informed decision. So it's not something that you've done, you know, at a whim or like impulsively, which is um, important. Coming back to the story. So George spent hours and then he managed to build this incredible awesome app what happens next how do you get it in front of people how did you put it out there a lot of people they build it and they have the most beautiful bespoke website or app and they struggle to get a download they struggle for anyone to use it how did you get it in front of people well uh, what was the next step in that journey yeah so the first thing i say is what you see now is not what it looked like when we first launched it you know, i'm sure <laughs> yeah. you guys have heard of the, the term minimum viable product but yeah, we, I think we did a fairly good job of building a minimal vi minimum viable product and getting it in front of people, and getting feedback, mm. iterating and improving. Mm. So we launched in January, sorry, December 2020, January 2021. Yeah. And um, as in the, the paid version of the app. And we just started, yeah. started learning. You know, we started understanding mm. users. We're lucky in that there is quite in terms of how do we get those users? We're lucky in that there is some decent search volume on the app store yeah people searching for a tinnitus app okay so what we did is we pay we, we we had a bit of money from investment but we paid for a 
sort of five, 6,000 downloads, which helped to bump us up the app store okay. rating. And then the organic traffic was enough to kind of keep us going. Keep it going. No. Um, so that's kind of how we found users. But, you know, we, the, it, another thing that you learn at Y Combinator is do things, in the early stages anyway, do things that don't scale. Oh, the um, famous, infamous line. <laughs> yeah. And, Tell us about that. Yeah. About that. So, look, an example of that would be going out on forums and reaching out to people individually. Okay. To try and get them to download the app and then pay for the app. Yeah. Why would you do that? Okay. Well, there's a number of reasons. Um, the first most important one is I think um, the learning that you can get hmm. from that person, whether they pay or whether they don't pay, whether they use the app or whether they don't use it, if you approach them in the right way and you speak to them in the right way, the learning that you can get from that is so, so important that you can use to then improve the app, make an improvement, iterate, um, and, um, and, and then, then, then put it in front of someone else. So that's one of the, that's one of the first things. And, you know, the second thing is, is you, you just need to, you need to get revenue from somewhere. Yeah. You need to generate revenue and whether that be to, to show to, to investors that you're growing or literally just to fund the business. Um, and this is yeah. particularly actually the case with, um, you know, less so consumer, but more B2B, you know, B2B SaaS, that kind of thing. You need to start generating revenue and to generate revenue in the early days, it's going to be a lot of manual work. Yeah. And I think the third thing as well is on doing things that don't scale. Um, you can use doing things that don't scale. Um, so for example, a process that could be automated later on, hmm. if you're doing it manually to begin with, you just need to validate that the solution that you have is the right solution for that market. Yeah. You don't want to pay, you know, 50 K to automate a process that is involved in a solution that actually isn't the right solution for that market. If you do that process manually to begin with, but it takes you ages, then great you can pay for the mm. automation later on and you've you know you've proven that that, that that people will pay for it and that's when you can start going from doing things that don't scale to to, to you know to pay automating it do scale yeah makes sense yeah definitely i think it's i think imran said it as always when you're launching a product whatever it may be getting that product market fit mm. making sure it's what people want people are finding benefit in it there's value add and then kind of raising fundraising getting the money and then accelerating and scaling it yeah. obviously like a leaky bucket right um, tell us, we've touched on it slightly, is tell us a bit about Wycom. Everyone knows Wycom is probably one of the most prestigious programs everyone wants to get into. Um, how was that journey? How do you manage to get onto Wycom? Um, and any tips for people that do want to apply for the next cohort? Yeah, uh, so Y Combinator is, um, now, I mean, we, so we kind of- Was it worth it? <laughs> Oh, it was absolutely worth it. It was 100% worth it. So Y Combinator was a game changer for us. Um, and I'll talk mm. about that in a second. But just in terms of how we got onto Y Combinator, um, we were actually really, really lucky, really. we um, I remember I was on holiday at the time and I saw the Y Combinator deadline was coming up. Yeah, George and Lily, um, Lily's um, sort of founding employee, she does all the, the voiceovers for the, for the app. George and Lily okay. were in Switzerland um, for, for an accelerator there. And I just said, guys, let's just put an application in and see what happens. We put the application in, you know, they did it in a couple of hours. And mm. then we got an interview. And wow. we, we weren't expecting to get an interview. So we did very little preparation, little to no preparation. And we just were ourselves, basically, we just tried to keep it simple. Um, we tried to explain things in a simple way. And, you know, obviously, they, they, they liked that. Um, and we were lucky enough to, to get on. 
Mm. So yeah, and in terms of like what we learned from it and what we got from it, so it, Y Combinator is really helpful for a number of reasons. The first is that it will teach you so much about how to build a good product, how mm. to understand your users' needs and how to serve those needs with a good product. And that's, that's, that's the first thing. There's a huge amount of learning to be done there. The second thing is fundraising. Uh, mm. And that's for two reasons, really. A, just having the sort of, you know, the badge of being a Y Combinator startup yeah. is very helpful because um, it's a lot of validation. And second is they teach you a lot about how to raise money, how to deal with investors, how to okay. how to manage sort of a funding round. Yeah. Um, the third thing that I would say has been, it was also it was really helpful for us is just forcing us to set really ambitious goals hmm. and then hitting them, working out how we're going to hit these goals and and then hitting them. So um, that was kind of the, the the last thing I would I would say that it's been been beneficial. Oh, and actually, of course, one more thing is you have group partners who you meet with sort of you know one on one um, around once per week. And hmm. these guys are founders of, you know, some of the world's most successful startups. Um, you know, uh, one of our group partners, um, Serbi, she just sold a biotech company for, for $400 million or something. Oh, crazy. Uh, wow. You know, we had, I don't know if you guys have heard of a company called Scribd, um, which is like Netflix. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had yeah, the, yeah. The, the founder of Scribd um, as one of our group partners as well. Uh, so, That's yeah, it was, it was a really, really positive experience. And I definitely recommend if anyone listening is has, has a, you just have to have an idea and a founding team. That's all you need. Um, no, that's definitely. You need. That's what you need to apply. Amazing. What I was going to say is there's a lot of that stems from kind of being in the right environment with the right people. So mm. let's say for people that don't get into Wycom, that they've applied, they've been rejected. What else can they do? Obviously, we don't want anyone to give up in their pursuit or yeah. whatever venture they're pursuing. What else can they do? Because obviously you were in the room with like-minded people. You had mentors and that, you know, contributed to the success also seeing today. What can you give to people that can't get that through Wycom? Well, don't give up for a start. Just because you've been, uh, just because you've not got in the first time doesn't mean that, you know, you can keep applying. Um, so it doesn't mm. mean that you can't apply again. So the first thing I say is um, if you get feedback, really, really try and learn from that feedback and understand what mm. was the reason you didn't get on. Um, there's a whole number of reasons why you, you, you might not have got on, but you know, one of the easiest things actually is making sure that the application and in the interview is, is as simple as possible. Yeah. You need to be able to explain what your idea is basically to a five-year-old. Um, and yeah. if a five-year-old doesn't understand what your idea is, then, uh, yeah, obviously some ideas are slightly more complex than others but in a language <laughs> in, so you know the, the maybe the, the, the context of what you're saying less so but the language that you're using needs to be understandable by a, by, no. by a five-year-old mm -hmm. basically um, and keeping things as simple and as short as possible um you know we got you know the, the, the one of the first things they teach you is how to explain your idea and how to communicate yeah. that idea to people and that you just need to be able to do it in a really simple really really simple way yeah yeah um, you know, if you apply again um, and you're still unsuccessful, then, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that your idea isn't going to work or you're not the right person for it. You know, hmm. one of the things, there's plenty of successful companies that don't go through Y Combinator. A lot more don't go through Y Combinator than do go yeah. through Y Combinator. So it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. There are a number of other accelerators um, that you hmm. can go through um, here in the UK, in the US. So I'd, I'd recommend looking into them um but you know just just keep at it it's no it's 
why corporate data is certainly helpful and is a catalyst for many things, but it's not mm. like necessary. The end all. It's no. exactly yeah. I want to ask a question. So why one of why why main mantras is that build something that people love, right? Yeah. Um, and um, you talked a little bit about understanding the user and speaking to them. Just want to really understand what that means practically, because again, a lot of our users, some of them will have these small little businesses and will have a handful of customers and they're mm. thinking, how do I scale it? And you're saying, okay, speak to them. When you speak to them, what are you actually doing? Because I think sometimes we can fall into the trap of almost selling our product rather yeah. than sort of understanding them sort of saying this is my product this is what it does this is what we'll do rather yeah. than what are we supposed to do when we speak to our user yeah well um what do you do when you speak to a patient when you take a history from the mm. patient you ask about the problem they're having mm. before this is way before you've started talking about your product you don't want to talk about mm. your yeah. product to begin with so let's say you found someone that's um that is a protect a, a potential customer for your for your product mm. the first thing you do is you understand the problem how it affects them, what things they use to deal with it, mm. um, what other solutions they're using. In the same way, you'd ask, you know, you'd be taking a history. You'd say, well, you know, you've got chest pain. How long have you had it for? Where is it? You know, mm. what makes it worse? What makes it better? What do you try for it already? All that kind of stuff. Um, and once you've sort of, you know, you've got as much information about the problem and how it affects them as possible, you can then, um, you can you can then show them the product. Ideally, it's best to have it in person, but you can do it, you know, mm. with, with Zoom and stuff. You do it virtually now what i used to do uh in y combinator is i actually and this is a good trick i learned i mm. actually would take people through i would show them the app mm. and i would take th i would take them through the onboarding and then they get to the paywall and i'd sort of you know observe their um i would observe sort of the, you know i'd tell, tell them to speak aloud and observe what questions they have you know they'll probably yeah. say something like hmm and they'll read they'll read out what they see on the screen and then they'll say oh They'll try and click somewhere and you'd be like, oh, why did you try and click there? Oh, I thought it was yeah. a button. No, it wasn't a button. And that gives you information about how you yeah. read the UI and yeah. that kind of thing. And then they get through to the paywall and you say, well, would you, you know, would you like, would you like to sign up? And they say, oh, well, no, this is <laughs> the right time. And you say, well, and you, this is, this, this takes finesse and it takes, you know, you have to yeah. say to them, look, I'm going to ask some probing questions here that, you know, maybe yeah. might make you feel a bit uncomfortable, but you say, well, well why not? Why aren't you going to sign up? And then they say, well, yeah. You know, it just doesn't, I don't really understand what it is. And it's, ah, what do you mean you don't understand what it is? And that's really important information. Yeah. Because mm. then you know that you haven't told, or you haven't done a good enough job of explaining in the onboarding program what the product yeah. is. And yeah. And that, that, that type of information is so, so, so useful to mm. understanding, uh, to understanding your users and understanding your users' thought process. So that's kind of a few, there's loads and loads of other stuff you can ask. Yeah. But it's just, yeah. you know, um, it's 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 understanding you know their pain point and and how your how your product can can help them basically. No, yeah, I can see why it's such a difficult task, right? Because as a as a founder, the the fear is that you're exposed, right? The feedback you get is your your product's terrible, and so a lot of people shy away from uh, yeah. sort of speaking I, I, to their users. I don't tell them. To be honest with you, I, I don't really tell them that I'm the the, the founder because I don't. I want the negative. I haven't yeah. Done, yeah. I haven't done a feedback call for a while. We you know. We have members of the team that do that now, but I haven't done. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't tell them that I'm the that I'm the founder because, you know, I don't want yeah. them to think that I'm going to be upset exactly. or whatever. Exactly. No, definitely. No, that's that's a good trick. Yeah. Um, and I like you kind of seeing and walking them through the onboarding process, seeing the pain points. Um, because I've been there. You design stuff and it looks pretty, and you add a random button somewhere because it makes the whole 
page looked nice and they realize it's useless and people don't know what it's there for mm. um we've talked a lot about kind of the success you know getting onto wirecom you know having users being able to monetize it and i don't want to kind of show it's all you know sunny days and it's all roses and daisies for our listeners tell us about some of the obstacles you face you know times where you thought crap you know this is about to fail or we're struggling um just kind of give a fair balance representation of it all yeah look look guys um we, we are this, otto is not yet a successful company we've had we've had some good luck we've been in the right place at the right time and we've done a few things well so far but you know a seed stage startup 80 yeah. percent of them will fail so our chances of success are still fairly low and um, we're just slightly further on the line than than, mm. than some others so um you know that's the first thing i'll say in terms of the main obstacles we've faced um i would say a couple of the big ones are going to be things like medical device regulatory yeah. questions um for those of you listening that are uh, you know have any experience in sort of digital health will know that medical devices can be incredibly time consuming yeah. and incredibly sort of um uh, incredibly expensive actually to, to, to you know to, to, to launch now yeah. the way we've tackled that is that Otto is not a medical device it's yeah. a health and wellness app we don't cure tinnitus we don't treat tinnitus we just help mm. people learn how to live with it and we yeah. help improve their we help reduce feelings of anxiety we help them sleep whilst they have tinnitus so Otto is not a medical device but that's kind of you know one of the big obstacles we're facing um mm. the and I if kind of you know when if I think back to when I hadn't fully stopped working shifts as a doctor, I'd quit the military. Yeah. But we had a limited amount of money left over from the first investment round we've done. Mm. I was working locums at a week. I was staying at my parents during the second wave of COVID. I was working yeah. locums at the weekend in A and E, and it was crazy busy with COVID. And then yeah, I come I can back, imagine. and then I come back work during the week on Otto. And I did that for like three months and I think I only had like three or four days off for that entire mm. time just because I was working to get this sort of the next sort of round of money in so we didn't run out of money. You know, we had one one part-time employee at this point. We had other things that we needed to pay for. And that was uh, that was pretty stressful, to be honest with you. Um, there have been really stressful times throughout the whole thing, you know, mm. trying to raise money before. We had a pre-seed round that I didn't know whether it was going to be successful or not. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been multiple life as a startup founder really is there's lots of lots of highs and lots of lows yeah um you know it's just one of those things um but it wouldn't i wouldn't you know i wouldn't change it it's great fun um and it's yeah it's 100 percent worth it for the for the highs yeah definitely i think um it is and i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that and kind of shared that because i think people assume like medicine is hard and tough and similar to startups the highs are super high and the lows are low and you're thinking crap why did i do myself why am i here on the weekend on call struggling i think startup life is quite similar um so thank you for sharing that I, just I, before I, we wrap I, I, yeah. yeah i mean I, I i'm just gonna say like i still like the last 18 months i don't really know you just kind of do stuff yeah without you don't have any supervision it's not like medicine where you can go and yeah um you know you can go and you get you just ask someone what you need to do you just have yeah. to work out yourself. So George and I have yeah. kind of been like flailing around for the last 18 months. We didn't, we, we, we yeah. never really knew what we were doing. We just kind of did what we thought was best. We made so many yeah. mistakes and so many big cock-ups 
And I still, as we go from sort of, you know, uh, really early stage of the business to sort of seed stage, yeah. there's loads of other challenges that we've got to face now. And I still don't <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. We have more help from investors and yeah. things, but I still don't really know, um, don't really know really what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> to be fair, I think a lot of people are making up as they go along. I was watching like a welcome video on YouTube and I think it was Mike Saibo or someone who was saying like, a lot of founders are making up as they go along. It just happened to work. And it's like, you're willing to mess up, fall down, get things wrong, but keep going. And obviously it's cumulative, right? Yeah. Um, Ed, a question quickly before we move on. Um, a burnout is a massive thing amongst entrepreneurs, right? So you've been locoming, working the rest of the days on the startup. Um, mm. How are you looking after yourself? Because a lot of people also do the same in the sense that they are working 18 hour shift, as they say, um, constantly here and there. How are you looking after yourself? How are you preventing burnout? How are you managing the stress levels? Because it's, it's incredible as, a, as an entrepreneur, especially the things you're doing. Yeah, I've never been, um, I've, I've, I've always been quite good at compartmentalizing work and, 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 and mm. you know, personal life. And I do, I do think it's important to, to be able to, to be able to separate those two things. Um, mm. you know, back in the early days, I was obsessing all the time over Otto and I was constantly thinking about it, which I think is natural. Mm. But yeah. um, I said to myself, look, I'm going to raise, get to the point where we've raised enough money to pay ourselves a salary and then I'm going to actually start. Yeah. Relaxing. Insure, not relaxing, but I'm, you know, I don't <laughs> want to take the foot off the gas at all. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to start making sure that I keep my evenings free and keep the most yeah. weekends free to see my yeah. friends, see my, you know, see my yeah. family, spend time with my girlfriend and stuff. And, yeah. um, and I, you know, we're now at the point where, you know, we have enough, enough money to last sort of the next three years. Um, Good. and I wish everyone is still working incredibly hard, yeah. but mm. we do make sure that we have time in the evening and, and time at time at weekends and stuff to relax. And I think, um, we have a very flexible, we have a very flexible culture at Otto. So, you know, we do hybrid working, so three days a week in the office. Um, mm. But the working day doesn't start until 10. And that means that people work better in the evening, can stay late. If you want to come in earlier, you can come in early yeah. at 10. But the first meeting is at 10, and the last meeting will, will always finish by 5 o'clock. So if you want to mm. come in earlier and finish slightly earlier, if you want to come in later and finish slightly later, you can do that. So flexibility is, is key. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 you know, we're very conscious of that. And I'm also kind of very aware that the work I do there's a correlation between the amount of work I do and the quality of work so hmm. uh, you know if I do <laughs> like seven days a week yeah the quality of work goes down I become a bit grumpy I'm not really as productive as I would be as if I was doing you know you know five days of, of yeah. know, solid 10 11 hour days and that that quality of work is um, yeah. is, is much higher yeah I was, I was just about to say I was going to say now that you have a bit of time to relax in the evenings or kind of do things outside of auto, have you noticed it makes you a bit more productive, efficient increase? And you kind of answered that question already. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is yeah. quite good to hear. I think we've taken up enough of your time. It's been a massive, you know, pleasure speaking to you, Ed. Um, a lot of interesting points raised. Um, we always end with you kind of sharing some advice, words of wisdom for people that do want to embark on a journey similar to yours. Um any advice, any golden tips, nuggets, you know, from what you've experienced so far? Yeah, so two things really. First is don't raise money unless you literally have no other choice. Raising money in the, yeah. the current startup environment is, especially if you haven't raised money before, you haven't had a successful business before, is 
um, is literally very, very, very difficult. Um, so mm. don't do it unless mm. you literally have no other choice. Um, okay. And you know, raising money to build an app, for example, is not a good reason to build money uh, to to raise to, to, to raise money. Um, so yeah, don't raise money unless you need to. And the second thing is, um, and this is kind of nicked from from Y Combinator, but literally just just speak to do user research, speak to users, um, speak to the people that you want to buy the app or the, the product that you're building. Yeah. Um, the the learning that you'll get from it is is super important. No. Definitely. I think those are two sign advice and the, the fundraising thing is something different. No one said that. It's all been like motivational stuff. You're the first person that says something practical. Um, yeah, it's, it's I, quite I, good. I get a lot of, I do actually get a lot of people reaching out um, and asking like, you know, I'm, I want to help. I want some help raising money. And I always say to them, what, what do you need to raise this money for? Like, and you know, you're not spending much at the moment. You need to prove that yeah. you have a product that people will pay for. And you have to need to have traction there as well. You need to have, you know, revenue growth before you can raise money. Yeah. The, the current market at the moment is so, so It's hard. abysmal. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was reading some stuff online and the letter sent out and, um, yeah. yeah. Now, thanks for being real and sharing it. I think a lot of people kind of share with, you know, all the, all the milestones and, you know, raising X amount of money and, you know, like living the best of their lives and stuff like that. So, um, I think that was quite sound. It was quite nice actually to hear from someone that's been there and has experienced it all. Um, Thank you once again, Ed, for taking the time out. We know Austria is going to be an immense success. We are going to plug it, share it, you know, be, be massive champions for you guys. Um, but thank you and a massive thank you to our listeners um, for joining in this week as well.